Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. More than anything, we want you to be redeemed, to know Jesus. If you are a guest, I pray, we pray that you'll know Jesus as your Savior. We're reading through the Bible. We are this week going through, read the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. It's often called the fifth gospel. It's really a continuation of Luke. Luke the Gentile physician is the one that wrote Luke's gospel and the book of Acts. And like the gospels, the theme is Jesus. However, in the book of Acts, you've got the resurrected, living, changed, life-changing Jesus after the resurrection, and you've got the, the birth of the church. He commands the disciples to go into all the world with the good news of the gospel. And really, Acts picks up where Luke leaves off, because now you have the ascension of Jesus and then it's a bridge spanning the gap between Christ's earthly ministry and the history of the Christian church as we know it. He shows what Christ began to do on earth and Acts shows what Christ continues to do through the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, only the Jews, only Jews are Christians, the early Christians. And then you have only one church, it's in Jerusalem. The center of the church, everything is centered in Jerusalem and Peter is the main character. But beginning in chapter 13, most Christians are not Jews and churches are everywhere. And Antioch is the sending place and Paul is the main character. And Luke proceeds to trace the development of Christianity under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It supplies the background for at least 10 of the books that Paul wrote later, the epistles that he wrote uh, in the New Testament. Now today we're going to focus out of chapter one. Luke chapter one, I wanna begin reading in verse six. And of course Jesus tells them to assemble in Jerusalem to wait for the promise of, of what God would say. But now listen to what he says in verse six. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, folks, I have a sanctified imagination. And I can imagine, now, I don't, can't prove this, but I can imagine Jesus rolling his eyes right here. Because how many times did the disciples say, are you going to set up your other kingdom? And now he's been crucified, he's been resurrected, and he's about to ascend into heaven. And they go, now, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And I'm sure Jesus just went. <laughs> I'm probably wrong. I would have done that, but I'm, I'm not Jesus either. <laughs> and he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. It was testimony night at the church. One lady got up and said, we're living in a wicked land where sin is on every hand. I've had a terrible fight with the old devil all week. Her husband was sitting next to her, sitting glumly by her side, and he said, it's not my fault either. She's tough to get along with. <laughs> Maybe you've had a fight with the devil all week. I want to tell you, we live in a world where there's a, 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 a war going on. And we are to be part of the most important work in the world. You are. I am. In 1983, the United States House of Representatives quietly dropped a 50-year-old tradition. The tradition involved the annual reading of George Washington's farewell address on George Washington's birthday. The Democratic and Republican leaders decided it was useless to continue to read the lengthy address to a mostly empty Chamber. Nobody would come. It's too bad, said one of the aides, but it's time for this to be consigned to the dustbin. One of the papers carried this. It said, in past years, it was almost holy writ that the address must be read. Through war and storm for half a century, a member of each chamber had been chosen to read the address. And now the headline read, Nobody listens to Washington's farewell address. Something like that is beginning to happen or has been happening in the church because it seems that fewer and fewer believers are listening to Christ's farewell address. These are the last recorded words of Jesus to the disciples before he ascended into heaven. And they're much like the words that you find in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where Jesus said, go into all the world, teaching and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and making disciples of all the nations. And here he says, I want you to stay here until the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to literally around the world. So what is the final address to Jesus? And is it applicable to you and me? Yes, it is. Because did you know that we're living still in the book of Acts? We're in chapter 29. There's only 28 chapters. We're writing chapter 29. The, the history of the church is writing chapter 29. And so these, these words are still apropos for you and me, and we need to be about the most important work in the world. And God's plan is in verse 8. I want you to notice, first of all, the people chosen by the Lord. Listen to it as I emphasize it. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me. Three times he uses the word you. You and me, normal people. 
That's who God's going to use. Can you imagine the disciples, a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of tax collectors, and all kinds of different kinds of people? God's going to use you. God didn't choose Superman or Superwoman or Batman or Batwoman. He didn't choose a superstar. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. Now, for those of you who finished topping your class academically, maybe you were in the top 10%, maybe you were the salutatorian or the valedictorian or the thank the Lorian. <laughs> maybe you were voted most likely to succeed or most handsome or most beautiful. Maybe you were an athlete and you lettered in whatever athletic uh, competition that you were in. Maybe you were voted most handsome, most beautiful, most likely to succeed. I, I've got some good news for all you folks. God still may be able to use you. <laughs> because I want to tell you the kind of people that God's chosen. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, God just says, I want people just like you just normal, everyday people. Because wherever I have a Christian, wherever I have a person that's been born again, whether it's in a home or a neighborhood or a business or a factory or a school, he said, wherever I've got somebody who's been saved by the grace of God, I've got a witness there. Amen. That's you and me. And I want to tell you something. We need to be telling people about Jesus. And as you read through the book of Acts this week, I want you to make note of the people who are saved by God's grace and then all of a sudden God uses them to witness to everybody. So he's chosen you and me. Yeah, you. Those of you who are half asleep this morning, he's chosen you. <laughs> Notice the plan that's been adopted by the Lord. The word witness, you will be my witnesses. Now the word witness was used in Bible times a lot like it is to use today. It, was, it refers to those that bear witness to the truth. It speaks of those who testify in a court of law. Now, witnesses in a trial is called upon to testify to what they have seen and what they have witnessed and know to be true. Later it can be used for the word for somebody who gave the ultimate sacrifice, who died for the truth, a martyr. The word martyrion is the Greek word. We get our word martyr from it. You're a witness. You know something to be true. Now, to be a witness, several things have to be taken place. First of all, a witness must know something. You got to have the right message. The dictionary defines the word witness this way, one who has seen or heard something and one who furnishes evidence. A witness is one who can say, I know this to be true. I have experienced it. I have seen it. In a court of law, 
A witness puts their hand on the Bible and they swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. That's what a court wants to know. You saw something, you know something, we want to know what you know. Now it's interesting how Luke uses the word witness all through the book of Acts. Let me give you a few examples. Acts 2.32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Acts 3.15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Acts 10.39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Acts 13.30, but God raised him from the dead and for many days he was seen by those who have traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. In Acts 22, 14, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will. This is Ananias talking to Saul, who had the, you know, Saul, saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And, saw, and Ananias is telling Saul, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, when you put all of these verses together, it says a witness is a person who tells the truth about Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard anybody say, we need to share our faith? What's wrong with that statement? A Buddhist can share their faith. A Muslim can share their faith. But we're going to share about Jesus Christ because he is the truth. He is the way. You don't have to be a theologian to witness. You don't have to be a seminary graduate or Bible school. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have, it doesn't require a college degree. It doesn't require a high Q. Just tell the people about Jesus who are willing to listen. That's all it takes. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to witness about me. He's, the sole focus of our message should be Jesus. A witness, if it's called into a courtroom, the, the, I've, never, I've, I've served on a, on a jury before, but I've never been called as a witness upon a, upon a witness stand. But I do know this, that whatever attorney is doing the questioning they're going to ask you a question, and if you begin your answer with, I think or I heard, there's going to be an objection by the opposing attorney because they don't care what you think, and they don't care what you heard. They want to know what you know. And those of you who are in this room would probably raise your hand and say, I know Jesus as my Savior. If you know Jesus, you know something. And you can tell people what he's done for you. John 3.11 says, Most surely I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. You see, God's plan is that every one of us who've been saved by God's grace are to talk about it. Now, you're not going to have any trouble talking about the rain 
You didn't have any trouble talking about, we want this city to be a sanctuary city for the unborn. Don't have any trouble talking about the government, do you? It's one of your favorite subjects. <laughs> you don't have any trouble talking about all the junk in the world. But why can't we talk about Jesus? First, excuse me, Second Timothy, the last letter that Paul wrote before he was killed. He said, I know whom I have believed in. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Do you know Jesus? Do you really know him? Do you know about him? Because there's a difference when you know him you want to talk about him. Billy Graham said that one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism today is the poverty, may be the poverty of our own experience. In other words, there's a lot of people that know about Jesus but don't know him. John wrote in 1 John 5, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you know Jesus, that you have eternal life. If you know something, you can tell about it. Well, I don't know about this, but I do know about this. What has Jesus done for you? Do you know? Has Jesus done anything for you? Four of you, yes. I'm going to ask you again. Has Jesus done anything for you? Thank you. The only thing that makes people more nervous on a sermon about witnessing is tithing. So this ranks right up there with it. Someone put it this way, we are all beggars. Well, we, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And Jesus is the bread of life. John 6, 35. Some of you are in sales. You're a salesperson. Well, an effective salesperson is effective when they believe in what they sell. They're not just memorize something. They're not just, uh, you know, just quoting stuff that they've read. They really believe because it, after that, it doesn't become selling. It becomes simply talking about what they know to be true. You don't have to sell Jesus. You tell people what you know is true. You once were lost. You once were doomed. You had been saved. You've been forgiven. You've been saved by the grace of God, and he's changing your life. You know something. Nobody can discount your testimony, how you came to Christ, your life before Christ, how you came to Christ, how you prayed and asked God to forgive you and how you gave your life to Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. I commit my life to you and I want you to save me. And you know you've done that and no one can discount that. May your tribe increase. Thank you. A witness must also say something. 
You've all heard or read or seen on the movies where somebody's been incarcerated and been put in jail or prison and they are in there because of something they didn't do, but nobody believes them until a witness steps forward and says, I happen to know, I didn't come forward before, but I'm going to testify now, this person, and they begin to tell them and they're set free. Dr. James Stewart, the professor of New Testament at one time, not now, but at the University of Edinburgh, described what he thought is the greatest threat to the church. He said, it's not communism, it's not atheism, it's not materialism. The greatest threat is Christians trying to sneak into heaven incognito without ever sharing their faith. One person said many believers are rabbit hole Christians. In the morning, they pop up out of their safe Christian homes, hold their breath at work, scurry home to their families, and then off to their Bible studies, and finally end the day praying for the unbelievers they safely avoided all day. We can do better than that. We can tell people the greatest things ever happened to you and me, the greatest thing that only matters in eternity. My little boy went to Sunday school for the first time. He came home and his mom said, well, what did you think about your Sunday school teacher? And he said, well, I liked her. And he said, who was it? He said, well, I don't remember her name, but she must be Jesus's grandmother. <laughs> because that's all she talked about was Jesus. <laughs> well, that's who we ought to be. We ought to be talking about Jesus. Convicting poem. You lived next door to me for years. We shared our dreams, our joys, our tears. A friend to me you were indeed. A friend who helped me when in need. My faith in you was strong and sure. We had such trust as should endure. No spats between us ever rose. Our friends were alike, also our foes. What sadness then, my friend, to find that after all, you weren't so kind. The day my life on earth did end, I found you weren't a faithful friend. For all those years we spent on earth, you never talked about second birth. You never spoke of my lost soul and of the Christ who'd make me whole. I plead today from hell's cruel fire and tell you now my last desire. You cannot do a thing for me. No words today, my bonds will free. But do not err, my friend, again. Do all you can for souls of men. Plead with them now quite earnestly, lest they be cast into hell with me. We need to say something. Why is it we can talk about everything under the sun except about the greatest thing that's ever happened to us? It's knowing Jesus. One young man applied for a job at a theater. And the manager asked him, what would you do if a fire broke out while a film was showing? And the young man said, oh, don't you, you don't have to worry about me. I'll get out okay. Well, that's not the point. Are you going to help everyone else get out? It's an old legend. <laughs> it's just a legend. It's not in the Bible. But the legend says that the angels gathered around Jesus when he returned back from heaven on his ascension. 
And they wanted to know, Jesus, what all have you done on earth? And, and how is the good news of the gospel going to be shared? And he said, oh, I, I had some disciples follow me, and I committed that job to them. And they're going to share with other people, and those people are going to share with other people, and so forth. And the angel said, are you kidding me? You put that job in the hands of all those unreliable earthlings? Well, Jesus, what are you going to do if they don't obey your command? What is plan B? And Jesus said, there is no plan B. I want you to think about it for a moment. The reason that you know Jesus, the reason that you were saved, whenever that day was, was because someone somewhere said something to you, told you about it, and you accepted Jesus as your savior. Say something. Nobody can win everybody, but everybody can win somebody. It's the nobodies that God's gonna use to win people to his son. I love this statement. It has been said, I wanted to be a somebody, but God allowed me to be a nobody so that I could share with everybody about the somebody who can save anybody. I'm going to do that again because you're going to, you want to hear it again. I wanted to be a somebody, but God allowed me to be a nobody so that I could share with everybody about the somebody who can save anybody. Amen. A witness knows something, they say something, but a witness also must be something. Not perfect, but when we use our lips to share, our lives also are witnessing. Because what we say is important, but how we live is important. Folks, do you realize people are watching you and the people you work with and the people you live around and the people you go to school with, they watch you. They listen to what you say. And when you mention the Lord Jesus, you ought to have a life that at least resembles the fact that God's still working on you. Nobody's perfect. Don't let this be an excuse. Well, I'm not good enough to share. Yeah, you are. You're a sinner saved by the grace of God and a, and a, and a, work, a work in progress of God. And you have the right to share because he's still working on you. But how we live, how we conduct ourselves is so important. In a courtroom, if the opposing attorney can discredit the witness by the way that they live, they gain advantage. <laughs> I got amused at a man who was trying to be more diligent about witnessing. He saw an opportunity, even as he was standing in line at the checkout where it said, 10 items or less. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so he stepped up there with his items, placed them on the counter, and he said, for all have sinned. And the clerk, without even looking up, looking at his items, she said, including you, mister, there's 14 items on this table. <laughs> 10 items or less, for those of you who don't catch that. <laughs> the rain has slowed you down today. <laughs> Must have water on the brain. It's a good thing. Dave counsels every year at high school camp. Tom doesn't allow his kids to attend. 
Dave teaches an adult Sunday school class. Tom doesn't go to Sunday school. Dave directs the choir. Tom doesn't know a single hymn. Dave chairs the worship committee. Tom hasn't been inside a church since infancy. Dave reads his Bible every day. Tom doesn't own one. Dave has a grocery bill that's marked 90 days overdue. Tom owns the grocery store. Dave invited Tom to an evangelistic crusade. Tom stayed home and watched television. You see, the way we live speaks about the Jesus that we know. And we need to be careful. You've got to know something to be a witness. And you've got to know Jesus. You've got to say something. But you also need to be something to live for him. So we see the people that God's chosen. We see the plan. But now notice the places. Where do we do this? It's a definite geographical setting in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Here is our authority for sending out missionaries and it obligates every Christian in every age. We can't all do all of it, but notice where we're supposed to be witnesses in Jerusalem, which at that point meant their home. At home. Sometimes it's the hardest place to be a witness is at home. But all of us have meaningful relationships that no one else has with them. Did you know you have the opportunity to share with people that I won't ever get the chance to? You know why? Because people socially distance from me. Because I have leprosy. I'm the pastor. When the pastor comes around, you know, I've been socially distancing all my life. Not on purpose, but people just do it. They won't let me talk to them because you're the preacher. You're paid to do good. You're paid to tell people about Jesus. But you, on the other hand, you're undercover. You're in stealth mode. You can sneak up on them and you can tell them about Jesus. And they're going to go, what? You? You know Jesus? I want to hear about him. He's changed your life. At home, there are people dying to know. Nobody can win everyone. (laughs) A national, not a national, but an insurance company, an insurance company sponsored a convention in New York at the headquarters of the insurance company. They had agents from all over the United States come into this convention. And during the convention, one of the delegates from the West, over here somewhere, he wrote insurance for a barber, an elevator operator, and a restaurant employee who all worked in that building of the headquarters of that insurance company. Because nobody in that building had ever asked them about buying insurance. Folks, I'm so thankful that we support 
church plants around the country and around the world. I'm, I'm so thankful we support missionaries. And every time you give to this church, even to the regular tithes and offerings, a big portion of that supports missions and missionaries, locally and abroad. But we need to tell people at home about Jesus. The Institute for American Church Growth years ago did a survey of 10,000 people about their spiritual pilgrimage. And they asked them what led them in. Their answers were interesting. Special needs, 2%. Walk-ins, 3%. The pastor, 6%. Visitation, 1%. Sunday school, 5%. Evangelistic crusade, 5%. Programs, 3%. Friends slash relatives, 79%. People telling people. Judea is the home away. It's the state. And then Jesus mentions Samaria. Oh, Jews didn't like Samaritans. Yeah, it was, it's just racism is what it was. They hated them, hated those half-breeds, Syrians and Jews. They hated them. He said, but you're going to take it to everybody. You see, the gospel's for everybody. No exceptions. If I'm not mistaken, the most famous book, the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16, and it says, for God so loved what? The world. That includes everybody. And he mentions the uttermost parts of the earth. That means some witnesses are going to leave their homes and they're going to go to the other parts of the world. Your children may be some of those. Your grandchildren may be some of those. Some of you have felt called to go to missions, but not everybody can do that. But you know what? We can all support it. And a lot of you are doing that, and I'm so grateful for those of you who are supporting monthly some of these that are out church planting. Some of them are my kids. And some of you are so diligently supporting them. But we give to missions. We give extra offerings to missions. Every penny that we give to missions is invested in eternity. We can give to the, the Lord. The people, that's you and me. The plan, be witnesses. The places, <laughs> start at home and move out all over the world. But how do you do that? We're supposed to do it on our own? No. Notice the power that's supplied by the Lord. He said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power, dunamis, dynamite, supernatural power is what that word is. God gives you the power to do it. He gives you the unction. He even will speak through you. He'll give you the words. When you share your testimony, you cannot do it wrong. Unless you spend so much time in the life before Christ that you never get around to how Jesus changed your life. And let me tell you something else. You will never, ever share with anybody. Are you hearing me? You'll never share with anybody at any time that the Holy Spirit's not already there ahead of you. 
You can't beat him to the punch. You can't. He's already there. In fact, he may give you the unction to share with someone. He'll give you the power. We're the conduit. We're not the reservoir. We're not the one that hoards all the power. We're the channel of the Holy Spirit to speak to other people. You have the power. You can't do it on your own. You have the power. You've probably heard the old story about the 747 at transatlantic flight. They're halfway across the Atlantic. The captain comes on and said, folks, we've lost one of our engines, but don't worry. The other three will get us there. We're just going to be an hour late. 30 minutes later, he came back on and said, folks, we lost another engine, but still nothing to worry about. We can fly on two. We'll just be two hours late. 30 minutes later, folks, we've lost a third engine. It's capable of making it on one engine, but we're going to be three hours late. Somebody said, well, I hope we don't lose the other one. We'll be up here all night. (laughs) A lot of people try to serve the Lord without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. And then how long are we supposed to do this? I mean, don't we, don't we do it for a while and then stop? No, you'll notice the period given by the Lord. Actually, verses 9 through 11, these guys are standing here gazing as Jesus ascends into heaven. And the two angels tell him, why are you standing here gazing into heaven? He's coming back the same way you saw him. Folks, listen to me. The Lord's coming back. I don't know when. It sure looks like it's getting close, but I don't know when it'll be. But all I know is, I I can't tell you when he's coming back, but I can tell you that we can all be ready by knowing Jesus. And people are not ready. They're not ready for him to come. The gospel is not something we go to church to hear. It's something we go from church to tell. We don't hoard it here. Have you ever thought about what you can do on earth and you can't do in heaven? You can sing here on earth, you're going to sing in heaven. You can pray here on earth, you can talk to God in heaven. You can fellowship here on earth, you're going to fellowship in heaven. And the list could go on, but there's one thing you can not do in heaven that you can do on earth, and that is share the gospel with a lost sinner because they're not going to be in heaven one day. And we need to be telling them about Jesus. Paul talked about this in Acts 20, verse 24, when he said, the most important thing in my life is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace, his forgiveness, his salvation. Would you bow your heads with me? For those of you who don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't know, you think, and you hope, but you don't know. You ask God to forgive you. You believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose again the third day. He conquered death. And you invite Christ to come into your life. Heavenly Father, I pray for those today who need Jesus as their Savior. Lord, would you let them know how much you love them, how you want them. 
I pray that you would draw them to you. There are folks here, Lord, that need a church home. This is the place you bring them. There are folks who need to be obedient to you, just like these that were baptized today. The first act, the first proof that you've been saved is to show people through baptism. I pray for those, Lord, who are born again in this room that you would put on their hearts, on our, in our minds, people who need to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Lord, don't, don't let us brag about our denomination or brag about our programs, but we want to brag about you, Lord, and all that you've done for us. So, Lord, I pray that people will respond to you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.